0: Good to see you. Yeah? Good. Um, for those of you who don't know, I've been gone for the last couple of weeks. You're like, really? I didn't know that at all. Um, but Out of town, actually. I was in Texas for one week just because of Texas. And the last week, I was actually at my old church in British Columbia. They let me in the country, and I was able to preach there, and it was fantastic. And they send their greetings. I sent our greetings to them. You don't know them, but they were very, very pleased to know that we are both sister churches uh, trying to proclaim Christ's word in the cities that we're in. Um, like we just said a minute ago, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is where we are. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 17 is what we're going to look at here. I've been to several uh, conferences over, over the years. Usually you go to a conference because there's a particular speaker or a slew of speakers that you, you, you're interested by. Maybe there's somebody who really uh, captures your attention and maybe some other guys are, you know, just there because, uh, you, you know, you, they're, they're really important in their particular field. When I lived in New Zealand a number of years ago, uh, I longed to go to one of these conferences because you can't really do that. And in New Zealand, I don't have a lot of them. I had a, a whole bunch of tapes, though, that my father-in-law would send me. These tapes were uh, tapes of a guy named Tim Keller. This was back in the late 90s, early 2000s. My sister-in-law actually attended that church. She's a big opera singer, and she was living in New York City at the time, and so she began attending Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York, and she thought her pastor, Tim Keller, was a really capable communicator. So she would send the tapes to my father-in-law, who would then send them to me in New Zealand. And I remember driving around in my little pink uh, Honda Accord, all over the place, just listening to Tim Keller. I remember leaving my house at one point and saying, Lord, could you just, at some point in my life, could you help me to preach even remotely as well as this guy does? Well, fast forward in time, and like I said, I would have had a desire to go to conferences. I eventually went to one. I went to a conference conference. Uh, for the Gospel Coalition when I was living in Canada. And we came down to the States. I can't remember what city it was in. I, Florida or any. So I don't even know. It's not a city. I know Florida's not a city. But anyway, Tim Keller was there. And uh, one of the things you need to know is that when you go to these conferences and the, and the big preachers are there. There's like a gaggle of guys around them the whole time. It just like moves. Like little kids playing soccer. All over the place. And so the guy moves, and they move, and they move. You can't even get close to talk to the guy. But I had a real desire to say to Tim Keller, you have no idea how much you have influenced me just through these silly tapes that were sent to me. And you had no idea. So I, I wanted to encourage him. Also, he knew my sister-in-law, and so I was like, that's my end, and we're gonna be boys and all that. So anyway, he, he uh, finally had to go up on the stage to, to be to speak. And I saw, this is my chance. So I, lit, I ran from the back of the room as fast as I could because all the gaggle had dispersed, you know. They know that it's not polite to go and stop him from preaching. And I ran right up to the front and I said, uh, Tim, 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 Tim. And he, he, he stopped, was a real tall guy, I didn't know that. So he, he stopped and he looked at me and goes, yeah. And I grabbed his hand and I said, I wanna, I just needed to thank you for, and then I told him that, and my sister-in-law, she, she's, this is her name, and she's a singer. And he's like, oh yeah, I remember her. She's, you know, great. And I mean, he's leaning over at the front like this, and the clock is ticking on the sermon. And everyone in the room, 7,000 guys are angry at me, who's standing in the front and won't let go of Tim Keller's hand. Anyway, we have some small talk, and eventually there's this awkward silence, and he says, well, I need to go preach now, but it's been really lovely meeting you, <laughs> right? And I said, oh, oh, okay. I turned around, man, you, the collective stink eye in that room was pretty great. And I walked back to my, to my, uh, the aisle, and I sat down next to my friends with the Shekinah glow around me, and. Uh, and they said, "Well, oh, are you happy with yourself?" I said, "I'm not washing this hand till till eternity, right?" Um, most of you have spent time around people that you think very highly of. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you've got a hero that you would you think to yourself, "Man, if I could get a chance to go and meet Tom Brady, or if I could go get a chance to meet, I don't know, Aaron Rodgers, or wh- whoever it is that your your favorite." player or your favorite rock star your favorite whatever and we all have stories of when we actually m- met them um, that that makes sense right when we're talking about basketball players or baseball players or rock stars or whatever the big the big wigs in our society we think yeah we'd really love to meet those particularly famous people those celebrities but it's a little weird when we do it with the church isn't it? like even the story I just I just told is I mean, it's just he's just a pastor, right? It's a little bit odd when we talk about pastors that way or uh, celebrity in that way when it comes to the to the church. Uh, this is why this this fact that it's a little bit weird to talk about celebrity like that when you're talking about pastors and leaders and teachers in the church. This very fact is what Paul was trying to deal with in First Corinthians chapter three. What was going on behind the scenes is that you were having. Um, the Corinthian church treating the different apostles or teachers who would come in. They were itinerant, you know, they'd, one would come in, preach for a while, then leave, and then another one would come in, preach for a while, and then leave, and then another one would come in. And so this is how the church was growing and learning about, about God. And uh, the, they treated each one of these people who came in and talked to them like they were some kind of rock star. They... they There's a whole history behind that in in Corinth. Uh, Sophistry was what it was called. And the Sophists were these really capable preachers. And they did this in every city and town. They did it for money. And so when these guys came in the Christian church, naturally, the Corinthians were like, oh, you guys are Sophists. Well, uh, Paul's my favorite Ah, I don't like Apollos as much. Paul's my guy. Paul, can you sign my arm right here? I'm gonna get it tattooed. Apollos, another teacher. You, you come, can you, you're my favorite. Ah, Paul, he's a little bit dry and boring and talks, to use big words a lot, but Apollos, he's the dude. Peter, Cephas, he's my guy. And so the church was broken up into these factions based upon celebrity pastors, does that sound familiar to you at all? No? Okay, you sitting there. Um, so we should probably pay attention to what this guy has to say because the more things change, the more they stay the same. And if you look around the American church today, you actually see a Corinthian problem. Celebrity pastors. It's not their fault. These Pastors sometimes aren't trying to be celebrities. God's just gifted them in a particular way. But you see it. You see groups around uh, evaluating everything else by their favorite pastor. I'm with this guy, not with that guy. Oh, I'm with this guy and not with that guy. And we have factions, even within certain little local churches. So how does the Bible talk about this? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter three actually is all about it. How should we view leaders in churches? How should we think about the celebrity pastor culture in the church? And I've got three Ways that we're supposed to think about celebrity pastor culture. Here they are. First, celebrity pastor culture is a sign of immaturity. Second, God is the real celebrity. And third, God determines the true success of a so-called celebrity. I wanted to make them more pithy, but, well, that's what you got. Celebrity. Pastor culture is a sign of immaturity, God's the real celebrity, and God determines the true success of a so-called celebrity. Look at verse one of 1 Corinthians chapter three with me. Celebrity pastor culture is a sign of immaturity. Help me, come on, work, work, work. It it was, oh, there's a magic. Do you guys see this little magic guy? Somebody's clicking it for me. Oh Lord, (laughs) click the button. (laughs) Praise Jesus, he did it, right? So here we go. But I, brothers, I could not address you as, (laughs) it's not gonna work. I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Now, one of the things you need to know is that uh, this this language, spiritual, is actually being picked up from the last chapter. Uh, a spiritual person is a Christian. We know that from Second Corinthians. You guys have, there? You go. Second Corinthians chapter two. That was last week's. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna use my my notes now. <laughs> Honestly, in a minute, you know that YouTube's gonna start playing on that thing, right? And the rest of you gonna. This is the best sermon ever. <laughs> But I, brothers, verse one, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I, I fed you with, solid, with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And now you're not yet ready. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and believing only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? So like I said, you've got these spiritual people and you've got these natural people. If you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 to 15, so just immediately prior, the last verses of chapter two, what you've got is the natural person, notice the language here, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are folly to him. He's not able to understand them because they're spiritually So there's this natural person, and the natural person is not a Christian. They have an inability to understand the things of God. But you also have verse 15 of chapter two, the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. You see that? Natural person and a spiritual person. So Paul makes this comparison. The people who don't love Jesus are natural people in his language. The people who do love Jesus, Christians, are spiritual people, he says, in fact. They have the mind of Christ and therefore can see what the Spirit of God and God himself want. Their lives are defined by what God wants, not by what nature wants. So, I'm going to try it. You guys are going to pray. Nope, it's breaking still. There, let me, here's what Paul's gonna try to say. He says, right, there's a spiritual group and there's a natural group. But you guys, if you look at the passage there, verses one to four, I have to treat you not as spiritual people because that's the Christian people. I have to teach you, treat you as people of the flesh. The word there is fleshly. It's like, okay, you got a spiritual person and a natural person and the line between them, but you guys are like right in the middle with the line going down the middle. Like you got one foot in the spiritual world and one foot in the natural world and I don't even know what word to use for you. So I'm just gonna call you fleshly. Now he describes what he means by that. He, As infants in Christ, verse two, I fed you with milk, not solid food for you were not ready for it and even now you're not ready. For you're still of the flesh look, the expectation of when you have a child is that that child grows up and every parent of a toddler said, amen, okay, you guys, amen. I'm dying up here. Everything's breaking and you gotta help. That, so if you, you know, one of my kids were little. I used to talk to them in, in, you know, little kid language. I had made up all sorts of names for my boys. I called them monkey and peanut and jelly and, Taught my daughter, I call her Sophie Doodle and Dowie Doodle and Doodle Bop. And, and I got so many names. I've made names for all of you as well, but I won't tell you what they are. <laughs> uh, so I, I've got all these names, but you know, there's a period of time as they grow older, you don't get down into your 18 year old son's face and go, oh, you little peanut. Hello, little peanut, right? You don't treat them that way. You people if you're out there and your kid comes in from, you know, their driving test, you don't go, oh. Go get it. Let's go get a Culver's or whatever it is. You don't you, you just don't you just don't do that. My son used to eat ice cream and he'd get it all over his face when he was a little kid. I loved it. He used to take pictures of it all the time. He couldn't more ice cream on his face than this. This happened until he was about 17. And then <laughs> at seven. No, he grew up, and eventually if he eats ice cream right now, he won't have it all over his face, and that's to be expected because, you know, as infants, you act a particular way, and then when you get to be older, you act a different way. What Paul's trying to say here is, look, I don't understand you, Corinthians, because you went from being natural to spiritual, and yet you still kind of live half natural. Like, I get that from an infant, from somebody new to the faith, but you're not new. You're not new, it's like, what's the issue then? I, I, I don't totally understand. Now he points out exactly what the evidence is that they're acting this way. You notice in uh, verse three, are you, for you are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? So you want my evidence, says Paul? The evidence is that uh, you guys have jealousy and strife between you, that's how I know that you are fleshly. That's how I know you still got a foot in the old world. You still treat these, these leaders of yours, these teachers of yours, you, you treat them like they are demigods, like they're celebrities and you, you enthrone them and then you criticize the others. See, that's how I know because that's flat, immature. Celebrity, pastor, culture is a sign of immaturity. And guys, it's how the world thinks. It's how the world thinks, but it's not how Christians are supposed to think. Like I said earlier, you guys, uh, you can remember the the most famous people you knew. I I remember... coming across uh, Orlando Bloom a number of years. You guys remember Orlando Bloom? Those who were Lord of the Rings fans? He was Legolas, the one who shot the arrows and was the coolest and had the long, beautiful flowing hair and no? Okay, again, you're killing me. (laughs) Yeah, okay. So when I lived in New Zealand, I had to travel to a town called Wellington and um, I was doing a conference there and I was flying back. It was in the airport, and they had this plane outside that had all of the Lord of the Rings stuff on it and had Gollum on the side of it. And apparently, I had arrived at the airport at the same time that all of the stars had just arrived from the Lord of the Rings film for the world premiere, which was happening the next day in Wellington, New Zealand. Now these were the days where the way you contacted other places was still with a stupid phone booth. And you know, some of you remember the days when they had all that bank of phones along the walls at every airport. Well, I went up and I was talking to my wife, saying, I'm gonna be here, but you wouldn't be shocked. There's all these people here. And and I saw some of the hobbits come through. They're a little bigger than what I thought they would be. Right? (laughs) And while I'm talking on the phone, I I turned turned around, and next to me is a guy with a baseball hat, sunglasses, and he looks really, he's like trying to, he's really little. He's a little guy. He's a hobbit. And so I was, I was looking at him for a minute, and then he looks familiar. then anyway, we took his sunglasses off, and on the phone I went, oh, Orlando Bloom is right next to me. And my wife goes, who? I Come on, Legolas? Who? Oh, oh and I started naming other movies that he'd been in. Oh, really? He's standing right next to you? Say hi. <laughs> I'm not going to say hi, but I did get one of these. You know? So... What's up, Orlando. I tell, I've tell i told people all the time that I've met, I've met Orlando Bloom. We, we nodded, right? I've been this close to Orlando Bloom. I could have touched Orlando Bloom. My wife one time met George W. Bush, the president, one time. She has a story about it. You all have stories about the people that you met with, who are super famous, and of course you have stories about that because that's the way the world thinks. The important people are the ones who have A lot of fame. But is it the way the church thinks? What's true, in other words, about a natural person, the valuing of those kinds of things is not true about the spiritual person, says says Paul. We've changed kingdoms. We're, We're no longer in that realm where we have a natural flag flying over us. We're now in the realm of the spiritual, where we have a spiritual flag over us. And so, uh, look, um, when you first move from one country to another, there are certain things that you, you'd you still do from the old country, and that's to be expected, right? So I say A, still, because I've come from Canada. At some point, I'm sure I'll, I'll, I'll get right into the American, huh? Right? You having fun? huh? Not A, or uh, in Canada, they call it a, a garage. You go into your garage to get, uh, which still sounds ridiculous to me. Right? But somebody who comes from, from Canada say that well, we're going to go into the garage. and eventually they'll start calling it they'll start calling it a garage. or um, or uh, my wife, when we moved from the Northwest to Texas, she picked up the Texas accent, but only after a while, for the first bit, we sounded very much like we were from the Northwest. When my son came from New Zealand to Canada, he talked really nice like this. Hello, everybody. But we have it on video, but now he doesn't talk like that at all. That, that's what's supposed to happen. You, you, you look a little bit like what you came from at the beginning, but then you're supposed to grow out of it. And this is Paul's point. Why are you not growing out of it? Christians, Christians, I can apply this to so many things. We have come out of the kingdom of darkness. We've come into the kingdom of God's dear son. We've gone from natural to spiritual. And yet many of us live on that one foot in, one foot out sort of place. And we sound very much like we're not Christians. We think very much like we're not Christians. So I can apply this to stuff like money. I mean, how do Christians view money? Well, it's it's considered a tool given by God to bless other people. That's what, that's what it is. But in our world, it's treated as kind of the scoreboard. If I have more, I'm winning. And at the end, if I have a whole lot and my house is bigger than yours and I've established you know money for generations to come, I'm the victor. Hoarding is the best thing to do, not sharing. Those are two totally different ways of viewing money. But you walk across the Christian world and you think, oh, it sure seems like a lot of people hold the natural view to that and not the spiritual one. The views of beauty in both those kingdoms, I mean, the natural kingdom, the, the view of beauty is, uh, man, you better look like you're 21. We even have stores that say that, forever 21. If you turn 22, oh no. We walk through the mall and the ladies sometimes get stopped, my wife and in the middle of the mall, and they say, would you like this creamer to fix all of your wrinkles? You know, so that you'll look like you're 30 again. And she's like, why, why would I wanna look? I, I'm not 30. It's okay to be 40." I'm not gonna tell you how old she is, silly. <laughs> it's okay. But that's a radically different thing to think. Actually, true beauty is found in a noble and quiet spirit. True beauty is found in character. And character is actually built over the ages. You become more beautiful the longer you live. But you look across the Christian world and we sit right on the fence with it. Still acting, we're still fleshly as Paul would say. The way we use power in the, in the, in the church and elsewhere, I mean, the, the world's way of getting power is, man, I just get me the power so I can use it to make sure that I'm happy and all my friends are happy. I'm not going to use it for you and for the benefit of everybody. I'm only gonna use it for the benefit of me and my interests. That's the way you do it. That's why you climb the mountain and become the president, prime minister, whatever it is, so that you can do the stuff you wanna do and make everybody else do that stuff too. But in the church, what is leadership and power supposed to be used for? To lay your life down for those you serve, Jesus says, uh, to benefit the good of others, not for the good of yourself. In fact, power and leadership in the church looks like Jesus' power and leadership, which means that he goes and gets crucified for the good of those who he serves or who are supposed to serve him. Radically different views, yes? But we sit on the, we sit in the middle. And we especially sit in the middle. I mean, this passage is talking about the way we treat celebrity. Yes, the world views celebrity, like it's the most important thing. Being famous is the best thing. Strive for it. Most people say, I'd much rather be famous than rich. It's the highest good, but in the church, humility is. But you wouldn't know that by the way we treat those people who stand in front and have lights on them, they put them on screens. You just wouldn't know that. We, we treat those people the same way the world treats their favorites, celebrities. It's a sign of immaturity. Mature Christians don't form teams around teachers. Or put it another way, it really is time for us to grow up. Right, celebrity pastor is a sign as culture is a sign of immaturity. Second, um, God is the real celebrity. Look at verse five with me. Dare we go back to the screen? I've been praying. Everybody's giving thumbs up. Oh Lord, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, come on. Oh, it's going to get good now. You ready? Um, What then, he says, so he's gone from saying this is what the church ought not to look like, right? You guys are, you know, you're in the middle with your views about these things. and You should be spiritual people, not natural people. But let me give you the positive view of how you should view your teachers and leaders, okay? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Uh, They're just servants through whom you believed as, as the Lord assigned to each. They are instruments in the hands of God. So you got a toothache, you go in, you go to the dentist, and you sit down, and the dentist got he's got like his thirty tools of torture there, and he's you know it. Who wants to go to the dentist ever? No offense, dentist, but you you freak us out. But they've got the little squirter there, and they've got the little picker there, and then they've got you know the axe and the <laughs> short sword and. Anyway, they sit down, they get a specialized tool for all the different things that they're gonna do and then they look at the mouth and they think, oh, I'm gonna need to have this one and then they do that one and then they put it back and then they do this one and then they get the sucky thing to suck your tongue out and then they keep doing all the different tools. Each tool has a certain task and the dentist assigns each a role to play in the fixing of your tooth. And when you're done and you had this massive toothache and you don't have a toothache anymore anymore because they took the tooth or whatever it is, they put a filling in. You, You get up from the chair, happy, because you don't have any pain anymore and you grab those instruments and say, thank you, instruments. Oh, let me get a selfie with you, instruments. Look at this one, it's magnificent. I like you, best picker thing. Right? You don't do this. You don't do the, the glory goes to the dentist. Of course the glory goes to the dentist. This is the simple truth that Paul's basically trying to say. Uh, we, we're just servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. See, I planted in Apollo's water. He's going to start using farming imagery because farming imagery is, is a great example of the point he's trying to make. You talk to a farmer and ask them what they rely on. If you talk to a dry land farmer. What do they rely on more than anything else in order to see their crop grow? They'll say, I need rain from God. They live every single day not knowing if the harvest is gonna come in because they need rain at a certain time of the year and they need not rain at other times of the year. No hail. So Paul's saying, okay, let's check farming. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth so in other words God's the real celebrity yes he, he, he's the one who who deserves all fame and attention for all the things that are done in his church all spiritual growth in the lives in our lives is due to God and he alone deserves credit for it and I want to, you to think with me for a minute about um, this theological issue, all right? Um, God is completely self-sufficient. That means he does not need anyone, anyone's help to do anything at all. He doesn't, he doesn't need you, he doesn't need me, he doesn't need kings or princes, he doesn't need anything, doesn't need any of us. So why then? Does the self-sufficient God use us to accomplish his mission? I mean, God could have, seriously, God could have just said, you know, uh, the way I'm going to accomplish my mission, right, bring people to faith in Jesus, is I'm going to actually appear to each one in a private vision, and I'm gonna walk around with them for a week that only they can see it, right? I'll put my arm around them, and I'll appear to them, and, you know that if you've gotten the apparition, that means that you're, you know, with Jesus. I believe now because that, that's the way God did it. He could have written it in the sky. He could have dropped bricks from heaven and said, if your brick hits you, you're saved. He could have done a lot of, a lot of things. He doesn't need your help. He could have done it by the mouths of donkeys. He's done that before. So when the donkey starts talking to you, you're in. He could have done any of any of those things, but he doesn't. Instead, he uses the most, in my opinion, inefficient means. What do you mean? Yeah, you, me. Inefficient. You ever taking your kid for a walk through the grocery store and you're the little kids and you have the, the cart and they're like, let me push, let me push. And you're like, "Ah, oh, we're going to be here for two hours now, right? Okay, you can push. And they're hitting the grandma going down the thing and they're so sorry, he's just learning to drive. And they go all over the place. And it takes two hours. And you're exhausted. I mean, even at some point, you just grab the wheel and say, we're we're not gonna do this. Yeah, that's pretty much, I think, what it's like for God to use uh, people like us completely inefficient. We're banging into everything. So why would the self-sufficient God utilize the most inefficient means to accomplish his mission? Like, this doesn't seem like a great plan. Yet, I think the answer is pretty simple. It's, I, think, I think it's because he likes to share his joy. That's why you let your kid do it, right? That's why you let your kid push the thing, because you're like, okay, it's gonna take two hours, but it's, it's gonna be kind of fun for them. They're gonna be able to push around. I mean, everyone knows that I'm the one who's steering it away from grandma. I, everyone knows I'm causing it to stop You know, at, at the tricks, Gray cereal. Ariel. Every, everyone knows that I'm in charge. But my child is so overwhelmed with joy because they're able to do that. Now, I think that that's probably what it's like. People like me who get the opportunity to serve others and be missionaries or, uh, or, or mouthpieces for God. We're the little kids walking around and there is a great joy in the middle of it. But here's the thing, here's the danger in all of that, that while you're walking around and pushing that cart all over the place, you don't actually recognize that the one behind you, the big God, is actually pushing. And you start thinking when people look at you and go, good job, that you just start thinking, oh yeah, amazing, I'm doing great. They should lift my kids up to dunk basketballs, you know? Come on, catch the ball. You lift them up and they dunk the basketball. My kids never came down and started going in your face to all the other people because they knew full well that I was the one who lifted them up. And that's pretty much, I think, what Paul's trying to get after. Don't, don't start thinking that you're amazing because God has lifted you up and started to use you for his mission He's done it out as an act of grace, out of, so that you may have the joy, but don't confuse the grace and joy for like attention and oh, we need you. Nope, nope, because he's the real celebrity. <laughs> Fact is, a little earlier in Corinthians, he says that God chose the weak things of the world, so if you're being used, <laughs> you pretty much bet what he thinks of you, right? He's weak. God's doing it all. Neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. But only God who gives the growth. Okay, here's the last one. God determines the true success of a so-called celebrity. Because okay, but on what grounds is God judging success? We think success is something like, you know, big, big churches and lots of podcast listens and, and book writing and, you know, cool shoes. You make it on preachers and sneakers. Well, that's what we think. I'm making it. But what about, what about God, how does, he, how does he view these things? For we are God's fellow workers. Uh, this we, if you recognized before, who, Paul's talking about a couple of people. I, will, I planted, Apollos watered, okay? So when he uses this we here, he's talking about, well yeah, me, Paul and Apollos talking about leaders and teachers. For we are God's fellow workers, you, who's you? you? You is the church, okay? So what you've got is you've got leaders and you've got the church. We leaders are God's fellow workers. You, church, are God's field. And he decides at this point, okay, enough with the farming imagery because I prefer building ones. You're God's building. According to the grace given to me, grace probably meaning here his apostolic grace, the gift of being an apostle, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled or wise master builder, so in your mind you should be thinking a foreman, the guy who's in the little house at the bottom, and he's got the you know, the plans all laid out, and he, he's the one dictating everything. I'm, a, I'm the skilled master builder. I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. You can, you can see his image here. Someone else is, is building upon it. So, let each one then take care how he, he who. He's still talking about leaders, yes? And teachers, leaders, right? Let each one take care how he built upon it, for no one, no one of these teachers or leaders, can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul's like, look, it's not a church if the foundation is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you deny the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're not doing Christian ministry. The building is not actually going to hold up. It will be destroyed. So, no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, and straw, uh, this first one is kind of, like, that would be an interesting house, wouldn't it? Gold, silver, precious stones, rubies, and things like that, okay. It's really beautiful. Um, My house is made out of wood, though, so... I don't know. Maybe I'm a sinner. Wood, hay, and straw. the The issue here is not necessarily of the beauty or anything like that. It, it's whether which one will last. Which one will last? And the three little pigs know the answer, right? Each one's work. Each one who. Each one leader's work will become manifest, become clear, become revealed. For the day, notice that they put a capital D there. Yeah, the day of the Lord, the day of judgment, where everybody stands in front of God and has to give an account for who they are and what they did. That day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And now you know why it is that some of these building materials are good and some are not so good. Because you can heat gold, silver, precious stones up pretty hot and they're not doing anything. But hay, straw, And the fire, okay, God's got this massive blowtorch. God picture this, right? The judgment day. He's got the you in front of it, you the leader who's been teaching churches, who've been leading churches, and there you're standing there, and God lights up his blowtorch and goes, or flamethrower, if you like video games, there he is, and he's ready. He's ready to let it let it fire. He's, there's the building in front of you. And some of it's gonna burn up. The fire will will test what sort of work each one, each teacher, each leader has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation, right, the foundation of Jesus Christ, so if the work that you built was in line with Jesus and the teaching about him, if it if it survives, he, that leader, will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, probably the loss of the reward. He's, he's not gonna get it though he himself, the teacher, will be saved, but only as through fire. I wanna explain this in just a second. Here's the last phrase. But do you not know that you are God's temple? So that's the building we've been talking about. You are God's temple, and that God's spirit dwells in you, in y'all. If anyone destroys God's temple, notice what we're talking about now, destroys, it's not burning up wood hay and straw, it's somebody who destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that you are that temple. Okay, I'm going to draw for you what he's saying here, okay? What the Apostle Paul is saying here is that you have basically uh You have false teaching, okay? All of us are like, yes, there's false teaching. That's right, the book of Galatians. You know, who, who has bewitched you, O Galatians? They, they've convinced you to believe another gospel. If anyone, if even an angel from heaven comes down upon you and uh, does not preach the gospel that I preached to you, right, the foundation, even if, even if an angel from heaven comes down and preaches it, let them be accursed don't care who shows up if they preach a gospel that's different than mine if they ruin the gospel they're false let them be accursed the language there accursed means let them go to hell so he's mean Paul's mean with false teachers there's also true teachers I think I've drawn this before every church thinks that they're over here every teacher thinks that they're over here Jeff Bucknam is here so right so you're it's true, but what, in the middle, there is a kind of faulty teacher who is not somebody who is, has ruined the foundation, which is what? The gospel of Jesus. They believe the gospel, but they're building with other doctrines that are wood, hay, and straw. Well, What kind of doctrines are we talking about? Okay, um, you ever gotten in a, heard people talk, debate about whether or not um, there should be, uh, elders in the church should be women or men? Well, it's not, it doesn't seem like it's a gospel issue. If I disagree with you about that, I don't think you and I are gonna be, I'm gonna say to you, you're, I think that's a hellbound thought. It's, it's not one of those, it's actually one of these faulty ones. You can be a Christian and hold to a different viewpoint on that, but one of us is right and one of us is wrong. What about baptizing babies? Do you think that one of, the, one of those is right, one of them is wrong? One of them is gold, silver, precious stones. One of them is wood, hay, and straw. But they're not both right. If you're Arminian or Calvinist, to use theological language... I don't think that you're not a Christian because you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ by grace through faith. There are some who might not believe that in those camps, but if you say, no, I believe in the gospel. But here's the way I think that divine sovereignty and human responsibility merge, and we have disagreements. Well, one of us is probably gonna be truer than the other, and the other one's gonna be faulty, but God's gonna determine that. Could be wood, hay, and straw. So here's the thing, the success and greatness of any church leader or leader or teacher is determined by God. Our assessment of, the greatness, of their greatness is often very different from his assessment and the day will disclose it. It's only on the great day that you end up finding out, oh, you were wrong, you were right. So the things that we end up valuing as a church, the things that we end up valuing in our teachers and our leaders are not necessarily the things that God values. What does God value? Faithfulness. Be careful how you build. He says, be be over here. Build in line with the foundation of Jesus Christ. So there's a difference between faulty and false teaching and teachers. And secondly and finally... Faithfulness to the truth is what God cares about, and so should we. If I tell my son to go to the store, and I say, hey, I need you to get some milk and eggs, and he comes back, and he tells me a grand story about how he went to the store, and there was someone hurt on the, on the floor, and then he helped the hurt person, and the whole store started clapping for him, and then they made him the manager, and now he makes $100,000 million a year, and he comes back home, and he doesn't have the milk and eggs, like he failed. It's an exaggeration. I'd probably take the $100 million grocery manager, right? But, but he failed. Yeah, right. Look, you could be so loved and, and, and lifted high and have the books and the name and all the stuff. You could have all of that stuff. People could clap for you and talk about how fantastic you are. But if you're not doing the thing that you were commissioned to do, on that day, it will be disclosed. Seriously, in your minds, you need to start thinking about all the preachers and all the teachers who are lifted up high and treated like they are phenomenal, based upon what we think is important, which is the natural stuff. Popularity, Twitter followers, money, facilities, whatever it is, you're amazing, but that's not what God judges by. What is God judged by? Uh, faithfulness. Faithfulness. And the day will disclose it. Not now. The day will disclose it. Look, finally, there's, uh, there's a story in the Old Testament about Moses. Moses is an amazing guy, right? He gets to walk across the Red Sea. He's talking about all these promises, walking into the promised land. Of course, the people turn away from going into the promised land and they're gonna walk around for 40 years in the desert and they're walking around 40 years and they keep complaining. At one point, they complain because they're thirsty. This is like seventh or eighth in line of line of all the complaints that they have. So they're complaining that they're thirsty and Moses says to God, "You help me. And God says to Moses, look, I want you to go and I want you to speak to the rock and I want you to... It'll bring forth water for the people. And so Moses, irritated by the people, walks over to the rock and you know gets them all in front of him and he says, you guys are driving me crazy. You see this stick, I'm gonna bring forth water from this rock, you watch me. I mean, he's doing all of this out of an attempt to get them to recognize his power, his authority, his place, and he whacks the rock twice. Water comes gushing out, success, right? Thank you, Moses. You're the best. Let's throw a party for Moses. Hello, Moses. Would you like to have a book deal on how to bring water out of rocks? Everybody's excited about Moses. Well, not everybody. He goes to God and God says, yeah, you're not gonna go into the promised land because you weren't faithful to the commission that I gave. See, you and I, we don't take it that seriously. Surely fame's a great thing. Surely celebrity's a great thing. And God's like, well, look, if that happens because I decided to give you the, the Lord assigns to each, then that's, then that's fine. But even there, the standard of success for teachers and leaders, it doesn't change. The standard is faithfulness. Always faithfulness. Which means probably I'm going to have to wash my hand. Let me pray, Father. I'm thankful for my friends, and I'm thankful for your word, and I'm thankful, Father, for this passage. I pray that it would have had an impact in the way we think and act and behave. I pray that uh, you would bless us now as we consider to uh, we, we respond back to you. You are great, and you are good. Let us to think rightly, Father, about the world around us. Pray in Jesus' name.